0: Okay, Jesse, I still can't get over last week's pastor creep. I'm still very creeped out. What's the story this week?
1: When a celebrated surgeon ends up dead, at first it appears to be a suicide. However, when the authorities delve into his wife's past, they discover a pattern of manipulation, madness, and mayhem. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey. And this is Love Murder. Hey, Jesse, Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about crazy exes, sociopathic sex pals, and love gone fatally wrong.
0: You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast.
1: And as always, if you enjoy the show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app, hit subscribe, and leave us a review maybe to help new people discover the show. All right, Andy. I got a real crazy bitch for you today. Yes, you know I love a crazy bitch. Yeah, she is. She is in one of like definitely top five list of worst girlfriends ever. <laughs> oh, who else is on the top five? I mean, I would say she's number one, but we also covered Catherine Knight, who killed that guy's dog, <laughs> and you know skinned and, and cooked a man. So, you know, she's probably the worst. She killed a puppy. She killed a puppy on their anniversary. Come on. Yeah, guys, go back and check out the Catherine Knight episode if you haven't already, because it's bananas. And only only slightly less bananas is the woman we're going to talk about today. Catherine was Valentine's Day,
0: I think. Yes, she was
1: our Valentine's Day.
0: Our very pregnant Valentine's
1: Day. Yes, that was, a, that was a gift to all of you guys and to Andy because I liked grossing her out while she was pregnant. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> we recorded that like when I wasn't
0: almost ready to give birth. Yes.
1: <laughs> okay, so get, get excited for Our Lady today. Let's jump right in. On February 19th, 1996, 911 received a call. That at face value wasn't completely alarming, certainly not compared to the life and death calls the operators received on a daily basis. A colleague of Dr. Daryl Satorius's reported concern about the doctor's absence and inability to answer emergency pages. It wasn't like the responsible and celebrated cardiac thoracic surgeon to not reply to an emergency page. Furthermore, the person reported that, quote, personal things were going on at the home. People were getting a little concerned that no one had heard from him all weekend. The cops decided to do a wellness check, certain that they would find the man with the most mundane of explanations. As nine times out of 10, somebody who is reported missing is usually just on a bender or, you know, they slept through their alarm. It's usually no big deal. Or they're sleepwalking. <laughs> or they're sleepwalking <laughs> for a whole weekend. <laughs> Maybe they're sleep- Maybe they're on Ambien all the whole weekend. We don't know. Yeah. Yep. So Corporal Greg Huber and his supervisor, Sergeant Zellner, knocked on Dr. Satorius's door. It opened a crack to reveal an attractive, if disheveled, 40-something blonde who identified herself as Dante Satorius, the missing man's wife. She claimed that Daryl was not home. They basically asked her, they were like, hey, can you go in the garage and check to see if his car is there? Okay. She's like, well, it's not. I'm sure it's not. And they're like, well, can you go check for us? So she comes back and she's like, oh, turns out it is. Weird. Uh, (laughs) And they're like, all right, well, can we come in and see if the hood is warm so that we can see, you know, maybe he recently came home or if it was driven recently. So she gives them permission to come into the home to touch the hood, to like look at his car and figure out what's going on. And- While they're going into the garage, before they even get a chance to put their hand on the hood, they hear a scream from somewhere else in the home. Stop. Yeah, so now she's screaming. Following the noise, the two veteran cops end up at the top of a basement staircase where they were confronted with the unmistakable scent they knew all too well from homicide investigations. The fetid odor a body makes as it is decomposing. So she screamed? So she screamed. Basically, now, you know, they run downstairs, of course. And down below, they found Dr. Daryl Sutorius in a pool of his own blood with a gun near his head. Dante was screaming, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? And she's like trying to pick him up and like wake him up when he's clearly been dead for a very long time. Ew. The new widow was confused, shocked, and completely unable to register the fact that her husband was dead. Seemingly a victim of himself, by all accounts, the scene in front of the cops appeared to be a suicide. But when authorities found abnormalities at the crime scene, and especially in Mrs. Satorius's past, the question had to be asked, could this have been a homicide? <sighs> we will find out today on Love Murder. And seeing how the show is called Love Murder and not Love Suicide, the chances are pretty darn good that it's a murder. Not to, spoiler alert, guys, spoiler alert. Major spoiler alert. <laughs> well, let's talk about Dr. Daryl in Better Times. Daryl Satorius was born in 1940 in Columbiana, Ohio, to Reverend Carlton Satorius and his wife, Leona. Carlton was conservative and strict and set an impossibly high standard for Daryl's conduct. So Daryl always had to be like the perfect kid. Like he had to act unimpeachably. He had to get straight A's. He had to volunteer to clean the church and do things like that. And he was literally a Boy Scout. Daryl did all this so he could win his father's approval. And it it was a really hard relationship because especially back in this era, a reverend or a pastor in a community is essentially on call all of the time, and I know this because Nathaniel's grandfather is a minister, and my mother in law talks about all the time how like they'd be having a family dinner, and you know somebody from the congregation would call and be having like a, a spiritual emergency or an emotional emergency or or just like anything like a car accident, and he would just have to leave in the middle wow. of dinner. So it used to be like this position that you were constantly being called upon. And you always had to put the church and the community first before your own family. And so even though Daryl didn't like this dynamic growing up, and he felt like he never got enough of his father's time, he kind of ends up doing the same thing to his kids when he grows up because he becomes a surgeon. And obviously, he has to put his patients first and work long hours. And so he actually kind of like, continues the cycle here. Okay. However, whether he was doing it to please his father or not, all of the hard work did pay off because he excelled in college and medical school. And he even met his perfect match in the early sixties at the University of Cincinnati, where he was a junior in the College of Medicine. Jan was a pretty brunette nursing student who took some time warming up to the young medical student. Daryl's a big guy. He is six foot three. And even when he was young, he was always a little on the heavier side. So he's like built like a linebacker, you know? And so it was like, not really an athletic big guy, you know? <laughs> and she's like really petite and really cute. So at first, like they, they seemed a little physically mismatched, but he completely won her over because he had this very forceful personality, very charismatic and commanding. Okay. While Jen was eventually smitten by that commanding side, red flags went up when she realized that occasionally commanding would slide into downright controlling. Okay. For example, Daryl insisted on deciding every detail at their wedding and he refused to even consider having a Catholic ceremony, which was Jan's faith. And I understand that his dad also wanted to, you know, perform the ceremony, but I feel like they could have, like, managed to do an interfaith ceremony, you know?
0: Yeah, they probably could have met in the middle somewhere.
1: Regardless, Jan went through with it, and the two would spend the better part of the next three decades on a marital roller coaster. Some of the highlights were Daryl becoming a successful cardiac thoracic surgeon, the birth of four beautiful babies, girls Deborah, Becky, Chrissy, and then golden boy John, and they were gaining wealth like crazy, eventually owning luxury sport cars, and they had a beautiful home replete with a swimming pool and tennis court. So they are crushing it, but things were far from perfect. Jan and Daryl had intimacy issues and he often turned to porn, like to kind of get it up, keep it up type of situation, okay. which Jan found very distasteful. That is like, she didn't think that it was aligned with their Christian values. Let's just say that. Okay. So they have problems in the bedroom and, you know, it's like the two major issues that marriages face, intimacy issues and they also had money issues. Because even though he was making a lot, he was spending a lot of money like he was I buying. I mean, the- tennis court. Yeah. Tennis court. And also like he bought like luxury cars for all of the children when they turned 16. Wow. Yeah. Like he was just very, very spendy. So to make matters worse, after a tennis injury, he became super withdrawn and he seemed to pull away from Jan and the children and he eventually became addicted to the pain medication. No. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Jan later reported between the money and sex issues that they eventually disliked each other enough to stop speaking to one another for an entire year. I knew you were going to say that. They lived under the same roof for a year and didn't breathe one word to each other. That's insane. I guess the house was probably big enough. (laughs) That's true. I mean. They each had their own wing. Exactly. But man, can you imagine that? That sounds terrible. No. I certainly cannot. And couldn't have been a healthy environment
0: for the kids either.
1: No, they finally decided to get a divorce. And it was one of those things, like the kids were all grown and graduated by the time they finally got the divorce. Okay. And I think you're right. It's not healthy. And I think so often people are like, oh, we're staying together for the kids. We're just trying to get them into college or, or you know, out of the house or whatever. But just get divorced earlier. They'll survive. Like... You know, it was. I feel like not you worry
0: more as the kid. Like, I don't know. I think there's like pros and cons to both. But like, I feel like if you're away at college or you've moved out, and then all of a sudden your parents are getting a divorce, that could be concerning too. You know, you're worried about the parents being single or going yeah. through without
1: your support. You know, you would worry about that. Oh, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd be like, you're fine. You're <laughs> adults. <laughs> You'd be like, I need to be there for them. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was definitely one of those, like, empty nest situations. The kids are out. They don't have any reason to stay together anymore. And they also realize they have nothing in common at this point, you know? Yeah. So Daryl jumped back into the dating scene with little luck. He was overly consumed with finding somebody who was young and beautiful, and it led him down some not-so-healthy paths. So he first dated a beautiful ballet teacher who ended up just using him to make an ex-boyfriend jealous and then getting back together with the ex-boyfriend. Yikes. Yeah. And then a woman named Lisa, who was twenty years younger than him, and she sounded like a real piece of work too. Lisa was only 10 years older than Deborah, his oldest daughter. So that's super weird that, you know, she's closer in age to his kids than to him. And Deborah and Lisa really didn't get along. Beyond not getting along with Daryl's kids, the two also inspired terrible jealousy in each other. Like they were both crazy. Like if if she was you know, got a phone call from a guy or something, he would lose it and vice versa. And she was like, kind of like stalking him at work to make sure he wasn't like talking to women and stuff. Like, oh really- Oh my God, at yeah, work. Very unhealthy situations for on both sides. Daryl eventually did invite Lisa and her two small children to move into his condo. And the couple were briefly engaged, but eventually the relationship came crashing down when Lisa refused to sign a prenup. Okay. We see where her head was at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> prenup or bust. Prenup or bust, baby. Not a good look. Not a good no. look. To everyone's very brief relief, Daryl then met a more age-appropriate woman named Dante Britton. And he met Dante through a dating service called Great Expectations. You know what's so crazy, too, that I was just thinking about?
0: It's like, if you will, like the prenup situation... If you won't sign the prenup then like you have no interest in staying with the dude at all because yeah it's like you don't even have interest in like you have two kids and you could move in and he could take care of you guys for like the foreseeable future but you already go in knowing that you're not going to stay with
1: the dude because you like won't even marry him because the prenup yeah that's it's crazy wild. i um, I mean i know you know who this is but i dated a guy who had a lot more money than me and was like 20 years older than me in my early 20s and we discussed getting married and he was like, you know, if we get married, there's going to be a prenup. And I was like, hell yeah. My attorney will look at it too. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, I'm not interested in this for your money. <laughs> it's just, it's so
0: blatantly clear when it's like, obviously I'm sure there's people who like don't sign the prenup and, you know, get divorced shortly after or don't get divorced and stay with them for a while, even if they're not intending on staying with them forever. But like to just be like, to bounce when you have two kids and you like, <laughs> you're like, sorry. I obviously don't care about you at all, so I'm not even going to pretend.
1: Also, I just think it's smart for people to protect their assets. If it's like something they've built over their whole life, you know, and somebody's coming in like when you're already in your 50s, like, of course you should protect your assets. I'd be like not want to be with somebody who didn't want to, you know? I know. No, no, no. I know. I was just thinking about that. I was like, wow, that's a bra. That's super raw. Yeah, Nathaniel and I do not have one because we were dirt poor when we got married. We had a broken pit bull and his like (laughs) Jetta Golf. (laughs) I think those were the only two assets assets (laughs) when we got married. So he didn't even have like a full, (laughs) a full thing of, of like flatware. He had one fork and one <laughs> One <laughs> plate when we got together, we used to have to take turns eating. <laughs> so yeah, no prenup there. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Yes. So to, <laughs> I think that was a really good aside, Andy. I mean, it's it's definitely you can see where her head's at. So everyone's really happy when he meets this woman, Dante Britton, who's a little older through a dating service called Great Expectations. Wow. According to the dating service, Daryl was looking for a woman between 35 and 45, which I'll let you know, he's 55. So I always think it's so funny when men won't date like even close to their own age. I know. says a lot about him too. Anyway, it says a lot about him too. Who held a four-year undergraduate degree, a job who was also a Christian who had elevated cultural interests, and was, of course, attractive. He talked about his four children, ages 18 to 24, and his medical practice, and Dante found herself entranced in such a man. The book we're using today is Della's Web by Aphrodite Jones, who also wrote Cruel Sacrifice about Shanda. Great book. Again, Aphrodite Jones really going there, getting personal with the families. So I'm going to have a couple really good asides from the book today, including this one, about their dating profiles. So yeah, Dante was interested in him. So she sent her profile his way. In it, she reported that she was not dating, that she had owned a daycare service and an apartment building, that she had a four-year degree from UCLA. She was Catholic, 5'2", 110 pounds, interested in everything from camping to ballet and had been divorced for about two months. Oh, wow. Yeah, very recently. She sounded comfortably well off, seemed stable in every way, and was looking for a versatile man, someone who is happy as roughing it as he would be going to the opera. She did not list her year of birth, nor did she mention that she had any children, but she did note that her given name was Della. Daryl looked at the video of the woman with light golden hair and hazel eyes and was immediately swept away. She was beautiful. She looked like an angel. Sure, she was classy and businesslike in her expensive tailored jacket and heavy gold earrings. But she also had a way about her that seemed childlike. It was her pouty lips and her sparkling eyes. The surgeon was captivated. In her member profile, she wrote that she enjoyed movies, museums, theater, ballet, and dancing and dining out. I haven't been camping since I was a child, she claimed, but I would love to give it a try again. She described herself as a very sensitive and gentle person, an intelligent woman who, in a relationship with the right person, could be very playful and extremely affectionate. I'm very unpredictable, Dante wrote. I'm fun and funny. I'm a definite hand holder and hugger. Moral, loyal, cute, and adorable are a few more words that come to mind. For someone
0: who hasn't camped since they were a kid, she sure does, like, incorporate it a lot in her profile.
1: (laughs) I know. I think she was definitely trying to... Fill it up. Evoke this image of I'm, like, down to earth, but also you can take me out, you know? That was, like, definitely her play. It
0: seems like she's just trying to, like throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks with whatever dude
1: exactly 100 percent. so the two fell head over heels and were married less than four months after they met on march 2nd 1995 you know what that is that is a love murder red flag it's also a jesse prey wedding I am a love murder red flag over here. (laughs) Um, Yes, it is. (laughs) Again, if you guys, if this is your first show, and sorry if it's your multiple show because you've had to hear me explain this 800 times, but my husband and I got married five months into dating. Yeah. Yikes. But it's been almost eight years and two beautiful kids later, so we did something right. (laughs) Um, Heather, one of our listeners, and my good friend Heather who listens to the show, she's about to get married. And she and her boyfriend moved in fiance, moved in together like one month or two months or something into dating. But then they've been together for like years before they're actually getting married. So I was joking with her the other day. I was like, you're like a Jesse and an Andy. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you moved really fast at the beginning. And that's a Jesse, and then you knew your your partner for years before you got married, like Andy. <laughs> smart on the back end. Yeah, it's smart on the back end. Good way to do it. <laughs> Jump right in. So yeah, they got married right away. One thing that's really interesting, going back to the prenup thing, is that he didn't make Dante sign a prenup. She qualified. I guess she qualified. She must have tricked him into thinking that she was not in it for the money because he didn't make her sign one.
0: And do we find out how old she is? Like, is she a little
1: older? Or? She's forty-ish. Okay, I think she's on the the back end of the mid forties. Okay. over here, despite her being a little bit more age appropriate. There was almost immediately issues. First of all, Dante had told him that she preferred to wait for marriage. So the two hadn't had sex yet, which also might explain why they got married so fast. Yeah. But that's also a love murder rule. Like, always test drive the car before you drive it off the lot.
0: Yeah. Come on, guys.
1: You got to know what's what's going to be working down there for you or not. And you, you mean, know? Like,
0: lose half the value when you get off the lot. So... <laughs>
1: 100 percent. So yeah. So Dante was surprised when her new husband required a medical injection in his penis to get and maintain an erection.
0: Oh, so this is like a common problem.
1: Yes. So this is a very common problem. He can't get it up. And then I guess back before Viagra, like if you didn't get a penile implant, you had to literally like take a needle and inject something into your penis to get an erection. What? So that sounds terrible. Like into the urethra. I don't know where you inject it, but it was like you inject something somewhere. Yikes. Daryl would later recall to his divorce attorney, Guy Hild how mortified he was when his new bride caught him injecting himself in the dick on their honeymoon.
0: Well, at least he was taking care of it himself, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, hey, no shame in that game. No. First of all, it happens to tons of men, especially when you're over the age of 55. Yeah, and I feel like you're you're getting it up, so it's working. Yeah,
0: he that sucks that he felt so embarrassed about that.
1: No, but I think you're right. There's no reason he should have felt ashamed by it. No. But apparently, like maybe she made him feel ashamed. Yeah, that's what I mean. It sounds like yeah, she's
0: probably like I'm not enough for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. So for guy's part, for the the divorce attorney, he was like. Yeah, that sucks. But also, why did you get married so fast after a divorce? When he married her, first of all, she'd only been six months divorced from her previous husband. Yeah. I... And he had also only been six months divorced legally from his 30-year marriage. Yeah. Why would you do that? That's what his divorce attorney said. Why did you jump into this? You didn't need to marry her. You guys are both mature adults. Nobody's pregnant. They needed to, to get it in. Yeah, that's true. Let's we'll circle back to this later, because that's an interesting way that she got him to marry her fast, huh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess if you're religious, like waiting till marriage is like having sex under God. But like, it's not like she's a fucking virgin.
1: No, you know no, I mean? by far she is not. Yeah.
0: But I'm like, what? What's the point if you're, you're a 45 year old that needs to wait until
1: marriage? Like, are you 16? Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, definitely wouldn't be my play. I'll tell you that much. Dante was snobby and blew the budget on expensive designer clothes and jewelry for herself. She immediately rubbed Daryl's kids the wrong way, especially Debbie, his firstborn and favorite child. His kids couldn't imagine what their father had in common with Dante. She seemed to them empty headed and materialistic.
0: That's what that profile yeah. like made me think was that she was just like filling it with stuff that she was finding on other people's profiles and like putting it all together and then was like, this is me. But it's like, it's not crazy.
1: Yeah, they said that she was really hard to be around. Like she was awkward. And the only thing that she ever wanted to talk about was like showing off things that Daryl had bought her. Like, oh, I'm remodeling this or look at my new designer suit or look at my new purse or my shoes or Like, look at what I bought, you know, but she didn't have a job. So it was all coming from, you know, their dad. So it's weird that she's like showing off things their dad bought for her. And that was the only like form of communication they had. Wow. Though they had moved into a nice new home, Dante began badgering Daryl to buy her a mansion in a nicer subdivision. For once at this time, he did put his foot down and he refused to move. But he did allow her to completely remodel their current home. When Deborah became engaged and started wedding planning, assuming that her dad would foot the bill, Dante exploded. She told Daryl under no circumstances did she want him paying for his daughter's wedding. Wow. Yeah. Kind of like not your purview, bitch, what he does with his money for his kids, so you know? So what happened? Did he not? It just it caused a lot of fights. Dante believed Daryl's money was her money. And she complained to her friends that he already was spending way too much on them because he paid for all of their college educations. He gave them cars. And she wanted to cut off the gravy train. Wow. To his children. Wow. Yep. Daryl was forced to sneak around behind Dante's back to discuss wedding planning with Deborah because he wanted to pay for his daughter's wedding. He was happy to, you know? Of course. And Dante began to pick up the phone while Daryl was like on the other line, you know, back when you had landlines yeah. to spy on him. And after he caught her a couple times, she then installed spy detective stuff on their phone. Like it would basically record and listen in on a- all his phone conversations and she could just go back and listen later. Wow. Crazy. The spy recording devices that he- she bought
0: with his money. Yes. 100%. <laughs>
1: So she knew exactly what Daryl was up to. When she discovered that Daryl was planning on paying for a country club reception, she lost it and called Deborah to inform her that her father would not be paying a single penny towards her wedding. The two women fought, with Deborah eventually cussing Dante out. So this is about what happened afterwards from Della's Web. Dante paged Daryl immediately after the telephone altercation, and as soon as the surgeon got home from the hospital, she wanted him to call Deborah in her presence. She demanded he tell his daughter that he would not be paying for the wedding. When he refused to make this call, it led to a knockdown, drag-out fight. Dante threatened to kill him if he didn't obey. She told him she had a gun, and all at once there was something in her voice that scared him. It was like she was a different person. At first she ranted, then her tone changed to incredible calm. I've done things before, she said, smiling, and I've always gotten away with them. Ah! What are you talking about? Well, I had to have someone's house burned down once. Why? Because he cheated on me. Whose house? Where? Just an old boyfriend. Nobody you would know.
0: She said this to him. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So Daryl started to feel like something was seriously not right with Dante. <gasps> Who did he tell that to? He told that to multiple people. So he like later on, he is like legit scared of Dante. And so he's like starting to tell like his family members and coworkers, like, hey, if something happens to me, I think it's Dante. Could you imagine? And no, and people are also like, wait, at first they're not getting it because she's 5'2 and he's 6'3 and huge. <laughs> and they're like, Dude, like, what are you afraid of? You could, like, swatter like a fly. And he's like, no, you guys don't get it. She's legit terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Also, this is another huge red flag. Basically, Dante had refused to let him meet any of her family. (sighs) So don't get married to somebody, like, if you have never met any of their friends or family, especially not that soon. Because nine times out of 10, they're hiding something, you know? Yeah. I feel like
0: we've had the last few episodes, we've had that recurring where like family hasn't shown up to a wedding or they haven't had any friends. Like, yes. I mean, absolutely.
1: Biggest red flag. I mean, it's when we're talking about people who are manipulators and murderers, chances are they don't like people from their past hanging around to be able to warn, you know, the people in the present or the future, you know? So she had claimed that the reason she didn't speak to her mother was because her mother was abusive growing up. And she had this one story she told like a million times that when she was a little girl, she complained that her oatmeal was too hot and she wouldn't eat it. And as a result of that, to punish her, her mother, Olga, poured boiling hot water over her hands and was like, this is what hot is. Does she have burn marks? No burn marks. Okay. Everyone says like it was a weird story and she would even say like, look at the scars, but there was like visibly no scars on her hands. So they're like, what are you you talking about? But of course, nobody wants to say like, were you actually abused, you know? So they're like, I'm sorry that happened to you. But she said that that was why she didn't want anyone to meet her mother. However, her mother had called over Christmas. So this mysterious, abusive mother had called Dante at Christmas and already Daryl was kind of like, Things were not going well for them. Okay. He took her number off of the caller ID and he's like, I'm going to write this down and file it away in case I need to like use it later and find out more about my wife. Okay. So when things start to get weird with Dante and her behavior becomes threatening, he's like, hmm, maybe I should find out exactly who the fuck I married and a good person to start with would be her mother. Well. Olga told him a whole lot of shit. Stop. Her mother was like, I'm going to dish. Boy, you're in trouble. She was like Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost being like, you're in trouble here. (laughs) First of all, Dante had told Daryl that he was her third husband when in fact he was actually her fifth. And when he mentioned something about her UCLA days and degree... She was like, oh, no, honey, she was a high school dropout. She didn't do any higher education at all. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. When Daryl complained to Olga that Dante was threatening to burn his house down and expose him to the IRS, all while spending all of his money and ruining his credit, Olga just sighed knowingly and said, according to Aphrodite Jones's book, that's how she's gone through life, Olga confided, on these acts of kindness from men who have fallen for her. Little do they know what a wolf in sheep's clothing she is. She's dirty, she's lazy, and she's always looking for easy money. That's right down her alley. Wow, mom. <laughs> moms got a bone to pick over here.
0: Wow. I kind of like love moms for like calling your shit out though because I feel like it's so easy to like defend your daughter, but you're like, this bitch is crazy. She's going to kill you.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what Olga's like. And it is refreshing to see a parent who's not enabling. Like, so often we have family members on the show that try to, like, forgive or explain away their kid's bad behavior rather than being like, no, they're just shitty, you know? Yeah. By the time Olga and Daryl hung up, the surgeon's head was spinning. He asked if it would be okay if he called back, and Olga encouraged him under the condition that he never breathe a word about it to Della. Olga was frightened of her. The whole family was. You just don't know how wicked Della is. Olga's voice was ringing in his ears. Be careful, because if she finds out you're talking to me, she's liable to do anything. So this seems as good a time as any to go back and talk about Della slash Dante and her five husbands. Yeah. Let's get some backstory on. So Della Faye Hall was born August 8th, 1950 in Oxier- Kentucky to a British mother named Olga and her American GI husband, Jim Hall. Shortly after the couple moved to Cincinnati, they had a second baby girl named Donna. Unfortunately, very soon after that, Jim tragically died from cancer. Della was only two and Donna was still a very small baby. No, that's horrible. Yeah, really horrible. Also, that's basically the age of my kids. I can't imagine doing what I'm doing in life without Nathaniel. So it would be horrible. Within months of Jim's death, Olga remarried a man named Gene Mello, and the couple went on to have four more kids together. Della was deeply resentful of her half-siblings, often remarking that she wished she was an only child. Her sister Donna reported that Della was a scary child, often telling her she would hurt or kill their mother, and once forcing her sister to play with a dead dog while she gouged its eyes out with a stick what yeah there was also some like question mark about whether she might have killed the dog too or if it was just roadkill and they were playing with it but there was like some suspicion that she might have had something to do with the dog's death too which is yeah i would think so donna also told aphrodite jones that della had been molested by an upstairs neighbor continuously for months i think okay an angry, violent child grew into a sulky, brooding teenager. As a child, Della had been gorgeous. She was actually a very cute little girl. But puberty hit her hard and the adorable kid turned into an acne-ridden mess. And she really valued her looks. So this, like, she was kind of used to everybody, like, even though she was scary and creepy, like, everyone's like, oh, what a beautiful girl she is, you know? And her mother dressed her very well and always like, kept her hair very nice and stuff. So people always commented on how beautiful she was. And then she hit her, you know, teenage years and like her face exploded. Did she
0: peak earlier or was she beautiful after?
1: She was beautiful after, but she always had an obsession with like her looks after that. I think, I think like this is why it's important that we don't emphasize our kids, especially our little girls looks for better or for worse, because she definitely became addicted to the attention that being a very good-looking little girl brought her, you know? Yeah, so she began to act out and she refused to work at anything, school or CHAR's. She was just like, didn't want to do anything. Her mother described her as greedy, passive-aggressive, and lazy. Yikes. Yikes. Della began to sneak out at night, taking her little sister Donna with her. After the cops brought the girls home more than once, Olga decided to send them to separate relatives, Donna to California, where she would remain for the rest of her life and Della to Maryland. The Maryland situation didn't stick, and Della was bounced back to Ohio within the year. At home, she dropped out of high school and got pregnant by her boyfriend, Joe Hofer. Joe and Della got married when they were both 19, and predictably, the marriage didn't last very long. Yeah, they had a daughter named Sean and divorced shortly after their two-year anniversary. Della was a terrible mom and didn't seem much interested in parenting Sean, but she sure as hell wasn't going to give Joe the satisfaction of raising their daughter. So a custody battle ensued for many years.
0: Oh God, poor girl.
1: I hate it when that happens. I hate it when like both parents aren't very good parents, but they're still fighting over the kid and causing all the stress in their life, you know? Yeah, and it's just because they hate each other. They don't like care about the kid at all. Exactly, 100%. Both parties remarried, Joe to a woman named Valerie and Della to a man named Jim Byer. Both couples were at each other's throats during these custody hearings One apparently got so heated that the caseworker instructed little Sean to cover her ears so she didn't hear the adults fighting. Oh, my God. Obviously, biological moms usually get the kid, and this case was no different. Eventually, the judge ruled that Sean would remain in Della's care. When this occurred, Della had been with Jim and had been kind of trying to have a happy little family. But only three years later and three years into having full custody of Sean, she starts cheating on Jim with a new drug dealing boyfriend named Sid, and she is just done being a mom. She's over it. So she ends up signing over the parental rights to Joe and Valerie when Sean is nine years old. Okay. Also, there's three guys I'm going to discuss in this that are pseudonyms. Sid is one of them, and I'll like tell you when there's two others. For some reason, Aphrodite Jones didn't want to share their real name. So I was like, let's stay on that track. Let's not share their names either. Yeah. So sadly, Joe and Valerie had had a baby boy since. And according to Sean, they wildly favored him and basically ignored her. Oh my God. How old was she at the time? So she is nine during this period. And things are not good. And they also were fighting a lot. Even though... Della was a really bad mom. She gave her like a lot of latitude and freedom because it was more like neglect (laughs) rather than like giving her independence. Yeah. And things were very different in this house. Like Valerie especially seemed kind of strict and Sean was just not used to that. So they were fighting all the time. Eventually the living situation became so depressing for Sean that she went to a school caseworker and she asked to be placed into foster care. Whoa. Yeah. Happily though, the foster family she was placed with adored her and she really liked them too. And they ended up adopting her. Okay. That's awesome. We hear all these like horror foster family stories, especially in true crime, you know, but this seems like a really happy, great ending. She ended up getting along with the family. They raised her as their own and they moved to Indiana and Sean went with them. So that was great. Except for the fact that like, she always still like, I mean, she was with her biological family For many years, this isn't a situation where she was adopted as a baby. Yeah, she never met them or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she craved connection with her mom, especially, and Della was just very checked out. She very rarely kept in touch with Sean after this. She became very consumed with this on and off relationship with Sid and partying. Della's divorce from Jim was finalized in 1979, and she embarked on a tumultuous roller coaster ride of a relationship with Sid. Sid reported that at first, Della was fun and adventurous, especially in the sack. The only slightly weird thing was that she liked to role play being a little girl in bed, even wanting to pretend to be Sid's daughter who needed a spanking.
0: Uh, why are you bringing Sid's daughter into it?
1: Well, he doesn't have a daughter, so it was like this imaginary like daddy thing, which I-, I guess some people must be into, but it seems really gross to me.
0: Yeah, well, it seems like it should be Sid who's into that, not the girl saying, "I want to pretend to be your your daughter," right? Well, I hope he doesn't want to sleep with
1: his daughter. It would be weird if he was into it. <laughs> okay, the whole thing <laughs> <It's> is weird <laughs> all around. Yeah. I think it would be even weirder. She's like, can you pretend to be my imaginary dog?
0: I think for some reason it seems like that would be like less weird because it would be him making the decision. I don't know. But I think- she's like forcing it on him to make it to be that person. And it's like, yeah, I think the whole thing is
1: pretty twisted. Um, so Yeah. So this was his first red flag. And a whole field day of them would follow as Della proved herself to be insanely jealous and paranoid. Sid later told this harrowing story to Aphrodite Jones in her book, Della's Web. Even before they started living together, Della was accusing him of betting every girl that walked by. To Sid, it was incredible. For the first time in his life, he was being totally monogamous and he had this nutty girlfriend who was completely paranoid. They got into many heated arguments about it, And then, days before she was scheduled to move in, she dropped by his place with a kerosene lamp and a plan for a romantic dinner. The poor guy thought she was trying to win him over. He didn't realize anything was wrong until he awoke in the middle of the night with his sheets on fire. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. We went to bed, and she climbed in with all of her clothes on, Sid recounted. She said she forgot she had her clothes on, which didn't make a whole lot of sense, but I was too drunk to really argue with her, so basically we went to sleep. With the wine and the smoking pot and things like that, she thought I was passed out cold. And apparently she got up, turned the TV on, put an ashtray with a cigarette butt in my bed, put an empty whiskey bottle next to it, and then lit the kerosene lamp and slid it under the bedspread. (laughs) Sid literally woke up with his backside on fire. His bed was burning. The mattress was on fire. And Della was nowhere to be found. Sid's underwear was singed. He could smell flesh burning, but luckily he didn't suffer any severe injuries. His left cheek was just very red and sore for a while. Okay, he is so lucky. He's so lucky. If I would have been passed out and lying on the other side of the bed from where the fire started, he reflected, I wouldn't have gotten out. I would have burned up in the place and they'd have come and dragged my corpse out of there. They would have done an autopsy and thought I got blitzed, fell asleep with a cigarette and burned myself up. Okay, so where is she? Sid was so freaked out by the incident, he decided to try lighting the bed on fire himself just to see how much time Della would have had to get away from the fire. When he relit the kerosene lamp and set it under the already burned bedspread, it took 17 minutes for the thing to catch fire. He realized that this was just enough time for Della to go home, talk to her doorman, and create an alibi, then climb safely into her own bed. The next day, when Sid confronted her, Della just laughed. What the hell are you doing? Trying to kill me in my bed? I have no idea what you're talking about, she said. You left last night and you put the kerosene lamp up against my bed. It would take a moron not to figure out what you were doing. Everything was fine when I left, Sid. I just couldn't sleep, so I decided to go home. You were passed out. Well, the corner of my mattress was burned. It's all black. I had to go out this morning and chuck the mattress and bedspread. Well, I had nothing to do with it. I'm sorry if you fell asleep. Like hell you didn't. Wow. Straight up. So stone cold lies to his face. Needless to say, they broke up. Of course not. (laughs) What? Of course not. This is love murder. No, she somehow, despite trying to murder him and setting his bed on fire, wheedles her way back into his life.
0: Dude's pussy whipped Hold on. for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't think he minded the role playing that much. Let's just say that, yeah. huh? mm-hmm. <laughs> Complaining about the role play? Yeah, after the fact. Yeah. So, there's more that goes on with poor Sid. After a fight one day, Sid returns to find out that his apartment has been completely trashed. There was water everywhere. Two full aquariums had been dumped over and all the fish had died. Fish murderer. Fish murderer. His plants were chopped up. Also plant murderer. The telephones drowned in the bath. TV kicked in and his iron and toaster were shoved in the toilet. What? Other items had been stolen, including a wallet. So this actually happens a second time. And it's when he like goes upstairs to another woman's apartment to eat pizza with her. And when he comes back down, his apartment's trashed again, and she let out his pet parrot. It flew away. Wait. So she's just killing his pets left and right.
0: He has two aquariums and a parrot.
1: (laughs) He's a drug dealer. He has like a (laughs) really interesting tropical pet fascination. Wait.
0: Dan and Taylor the other day were just talking about how like in the 2000s, like when you'd go buy weed, like the people who you buy weed from would have way too many plants. (laughs)
1: yes and fish like Nathaniel when I was telling him this story he was like oh yeah you definitely want a drug dealer who has an aquarium full of fish like it gotta be like so
0: high (laughs) like surrounded by your plants staring at your fish for hours (laughs) yeah exactly
1: 100 (laughs) percent yes so both times of course he suspected Della but there was no proof so he couldn't prove that she did it Sometime after this, however, though, she moves in with him and he finds his old wallet in one of her boxes, proving that she had been the one to burgle and vandalize his home. So this time he's like, you know what? This is it. He explodes in rage and tries to kick her out of the house. Like he's like, your stuff is already in boxes. Get the hell out. You're not moving in. You're crazy. But she calls the police and tells them that Sid has raped her. Stop. So the attending officers who come, like, he's like, look at her. She's like 98 pounds. I'm a huge guy. She's saying that I, like, physically assaulted her and raped her. But there's not a mark on her. Like, not anywhere. He's like, I am telling you nothing happened. And so the cops on the scene were like, I think this is kind of bullshit. And they basically gave them both a lecture. And at this point, Sid's like, actually, though, I would like to report a theft because I found my wallet and her things. And they're like, you know what? We don't like either of you. The cops are just like, we don't want to hear any of it from you. Guys, stop calling the police over stupid shit and maybe break up because you suck together. Yeah. And And they're wasting
0: our time and money.
1: Then when Sid tried to dump Della, she snitched on him about the drugs to the police. Wow. And he was thrown into jail for 45 days due to drug possession. No, that's a low blow. That's a really low blow. She, He also had been injured in a workplace accident previously. And so he was up to be supposedly getting this big settlement. Yeah. And she even like wanted to F him so bad that she testified that he was faking his injury.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. But fortunately, like he still got some money. Like he was supposed to get like $140,000 and instead he only got 70, but at least he got something, you know? So she didn't totally screw that up for him. But the settlement money came in like also when he was going to jail, like she banged him up good. So when he did get out of jail, he was like finally officially done with her and he used his settlement money to start a consulting business and he actually got really successful. So good for Sid. Sid and his business partner, Kevin, got themselves this gorgeous two bed apartment in this like very high end, fancy High rise building in Cincinnati, and they would throw these major parties that everyone went to every month. And there was like they said there was like three hundred people there, and it was like the who's who of Cincinnati and like the sports team, like the baseball players like from the Bengals or whatever Cincinnati's team is, would all like come there too. It was like very fun. Well, Della showed up to one of these parties with like a posse of men, and she instructed one of them to throw Sid in the pool at his own party, and the guy did. And poor Sid was wearing a full tuxedo, and he got completely drenched. Oh, my God. How old are they? I mean, they're in their late 20s, early 30s, I think. I I think she's mid-20s at this point. Lame. He was a little older, I think. So he's like, screw this. So she gets kicked out of the party, but then she pops up later, two weeks later, dating Kevin, his business partner and roommate. What? Yeah, like she targeted his business partner to date him so that Kevin would bring her home one night and she could be like, oh, hi, Sid. <laughs> wow. And Kevin didn't know anything about her? Apparently not. And I think that at that point, Sid was like, dude, she's the crazy one who burgled my apartment and set me on fire. <laughs> Do not date her. So it, it didn't stick with Kevin. He didn't Okay, good. So, her. good, good, <laughs> yeah. good, 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 good. <laughs> Kevin had some sense, so, apparently. Well, eventually torturing Sid apparently became boring because Della, who was now going by her new name, Dante, finally moved on dating a string of wealthy men who would pay her rent and bills.
0: Yeah, they this, would.
1: this girl tries not to work as much as possible. Like everyone, I'll mention a couple like little jobs she has here and there, but for the most part, she just... Got men to pay her bills. She's definitely not waiting until marriage with these guys, right? No, she is for sure not waiting for marriage with these guys. Yeah. Around Christmas of 1981, she meets a young, good-looking guy named Brian Powell, and the two ended up dating for about two years. When Brian finally ended things with Dante, due to her jealousy and erratic behavior, she legit burned his house down. He says that obviously they were done, and this is the one where she says he was cheating on her. Now, this guy had a couple of different properties. I think he was some sort of like real estate developer contractor type guy. Okay. And <laughs> she came over to one of his houses and smelled like smoke and fire. And he's like, why do you smell like that? And she's like, oh, was at a campfire. And then the next day he finds out his house was burned down. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then also like another time she like robbed him while he was sleeping And left the door open and he's like, hey, why did you steal all that money from my wallet and X, Y, and Z? And she's like, I didn't. I must have accidentally left your door open and somebody must have came in and stole it. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, I (gasps) didn't. I didn't. (laughs) So after this incident, the, you know, arson incident, he stops seeing her and to get his attention, she tells him she's pregnant and he needs to marry her. Stop. Yeah, but Brian's like, bullshit. He's like, you are so nuts that I have actually been keeping track of your cycle and I know there's no way you could be pregnant right now. Shut <laughs> up. He's amazing. Yeah, he's like, I knew this was coming. I knew you were going to pull this shit someday. So I, I know when you got your period and there's no way that happened. <laughs> oh my God, amazing. Yep. So after that, she left him weeks of threatening calls in which she told him she was going to kill him and like burn more houses down and kill people that he was associated with. She's
0: barking up the wrong tree. He's a smart cookie.
1: Yeah, he's not into it. So he starts recording these conversations and finally he like plays one back to her and he's like, I have like 10 of these. I have 10 recorded phone calls of you saying that you're going to kill me. I'm going to take them straight to the police unless you stop. And after that, she just disappeared from his life. No baby ever transpired. Ever surfaced. Yeah, no baby came up with (gasps) this. So after Brian, she moved to LA to live with her sister Donna. And she dated a man named Terry when she and Terry broke up she was living in Terry's apartment. And so Terry's like, hey, I'm going to move in with one of my female friends for a little while until you can find a place and get out of my apartment, you know? And shockingly, somehow that woman's apartment, the nice female friend who let him crash with her while he was going through this breakup, her apartment got completely trashed. So they do have proof later on, but... We know it's her. So, yes, she threw paint and paint thinner over all of the surfaces in this woman's apartment, like, ruining all of her furniture and her oriental rugs, and then plugged up all the sinks and toilets and let all the water run all over the house. Wow. Yeah, and then she also stole her jewelry, which is how we actually can get it confirmed that she was the one who did this, because later... Donna, her sister, helps recover the jewelry for the friend because they were family heirlooms. Whoa. So Terry's, of course, terrified at this moment, but he's also terrified to be on her bad side because she's like living in his house and he sees what she's capable of. So at that point, she was like really miserable and she was telling him like how lonely she was and how she was like gonna just move back to Ohio. And he's like, I will buy you plane tickets. What do you need? Do you need a U-Haul? What can I buy for you to get you out of here? So he eventually succeeded and Della moved back, but not before she poured motor oil into his brake system, which resulted in his brakes failing and Terry narrowly avoiding killing himself or someone else when the brakes failed.
0: Oh my God.
1: Where does she learn this shit? It doesn't go into detail how he actually stopped his car, but the brakes (laughs) failed. And like somehow he got it to stop without killing anyone. I feel like... I
0: use my brakes literally when I'm backing out my driveway. So you'd have to figure it out real soon.
1: Yeah. So probably he he just like kind of let it coast until it like ran into something like, and stopped. How do you even know that? Like, I didn't know that. Did you know motor oil causes your I had no idea. He didn't either until he went to get his car fixed. And they were like, dude, somebody did this to you. Like, wow, somebody poured motor oil in here.
0: Like, how did she know that?
1: I don't know, but I hope, I really hope that none of you guys do that to anyone now that you've learned it. No, that's... <laughs> I hope that I'm not giving you guys an idea to do to a cheating spouse. It's not cool. It's not cool it could kill innocent people.
0: <laughs> Unreal. But I guess Unreal. in her eyes, she's like, if she if he kills someone innocent, he's going to jail. So fuck him.
1: Yeah. I mean, she is savage like that. She won't yeah. give any shits. Yeah. Yeah. So summer of 1988, she's back in Ohio where she meets her next victim, Grant David (laughs) Bassett in a Cincinnati bar. Mm -hmm. By now, she's 38. He's 39. They totally hit it off. He was charmed by her looks. And she had this air of worldliness about her that they said. She also kind of lied and exaggerated, like, how glamorous her life in L.A. was, you know? Uh She also weirdly bragged to quite a few boyfriends about dating Jerry Springer. What? Yeah. I mean, I guess he's big in Cincinnati. It's kind of like his hometown or something. And he was like a big socialite at the time there. I Uh, love how carefully
0: you're using your words.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So she constantly bragged about it. And she also like used to put it on sometimes. And like when her boyfriend would be around, she'd put on the Jerry Springer show and be like... Oh, Jerry, you know that tie doesn't go with that suit jacket, you silly man. And like talk to the TV. She like once told a boyfriend, she's like, yeah, you know, he was a great like lay, but his legs are really skinny when he's naked. It's like, what? <laughs> oh, Jerry, you know, he's the father. <laughs> oh, Jerry, you're so silly. Despite her outlandish claims to fame and bizarro jealousy, when Dante tells him she's pregnant, Grant does the, quote, right thing and marries her on March 13th, 1989, making him lucky husband number three. So it is unclear this time whether she was actually pregnant or not. Probably not. Probably not. But there is. So I don't know where this note came from. Just Aphrodite Jones included it in the book. There was this, this note that was later found with her handwriting that said, abortion, question mark, two kinds, question mark, tubes tied, question mark, same day, cost, approximately how soon, woman center on Macmillan, three weeks in between, $350, not more than 12 weeks DNC. So that would suggest to me like she was going to get a procedure and she was going to get her tubes tied at the same time. But there's no record, so we don't know if that happened. In any case, she fakes a miscarriage later on for Grant's benefit. So either she was never pregnant and she faked a miscarriage or she had an abortion, but she didn't want to tell him, so she faked a miscarriage, you know? Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, and this is also, she continues this behavior going forward. I mean, a lot of this, you'll see this is very common, like her saying she's married, saying she's pregnant, faking a miscarriage. She also... Around this time, Grant reports that, like, she needs to have separate bedrooms. Like, her back is constantly bothering her. So, like, they're sleeping in separate bedrooms. And she has OCD. So, she has a thing about not eating anything prepared at home. She won't cook. She won't, like, let other people cook. She thinks that if there's food in the fridge, it's all rotting or something. So, she only will eat out and will, like, often just, like, eat a lot of fast food. Yeah, real Gross.
0: She doesn't think about the fact that fast food restaurants have refrigerators?
1: Apparently not. But I don't know. I mean, also, she might just not want to cook, you know, and this is like an excuse. I don't know. All of her, like, exes claimed that she was like that with them. So who knows? She also continued her nightmare behavior of calling the cops and claiming rape or assault when they got into a fight. Wow. So she did that with him as well. And she even attacked him in the car while he was driving on the highway. Like, and it was really, really dangerous. Before Grant finally decided he had to get out of the marriage or this woman was going to kill him. Okay. Also, during this marriage, she traded in the engagement ring he got her so she could get a facelift. And then she claimed the plastic surgeon raped her. What? Yeah. Like while she was under? She said that the plastic surgeon raped her at a consultation. And he's like, well, then why did you go through with having the procedure? (laughs) I do not know what goes on in this woman's head at all. Olga later recalled a phone call she had with Grant to Aphrodite Jones, where he complained about Dante's unwillingness to help out around the house and her treatment of him. Mrs. Mello, there are dishes in our sink since last Christmas, he complained to Olga, calling her long distance. I'm not a bit surprised. I'm sorry to bother you like this, but I just thought maybe you could talk to her. Grant, I don't know what to tell you. She would never listen to me. She makes me out to be the devil, you know. She tells everyone I'm no good. Well, she called the law on me, Mrs. Mello. Grant moaned. She's out to get me. You have my sympathy. If you had just talked to me before you married her, you wouldn't be in this jam you're in because I would have warned you. Della wouldn't let any of her boyfriends meet the family, Olga reflected. She knew we had the goods on her, especially me she knew she couldn't hook anybody with me around because I'd give them some background. I'd tell them to get out of there as fast as they could. Wow. Love, Mom. Also, I'm pretty sure
0: she had a British accent, so I'm going to need you to do that all over again. Oh, in British accent.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, going forward, I'm going to do a really <laughs> terrible British accent. So Grant wanted to get a divorce, of course, but for once, Dante beat him to the punch because usually she, like... Some guy leaves her and then she does crazy stuff, you know? Yeah. This time she left him in the most brutal way possible. On his 40th birthday, he's coming back home after being on a work trip. And so he tries to call her several times from the airport to just confirm that she's going to be there to pick him up and they're going to go out and celebrate his birthday. But she's not answering the phone. So he thinks that's weird, but he's like, ah, she'll be at the airport. No problem. No problem. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. She's going to pick me up. We're going to go, you know, get some lobster tails. (laughs) So he gets to the airport. She's not there. He waits around. He tries to call her from a payphone. She's not coming. So he has no money. This is back in the era where you needed to have cash for taxis, obviously. So he goes out to the taxi driver and he's like, hey, my wife was supposed to pick me up. She's not here. I have money at home. This is my home address. Drive me home and then you can come up and I'll pay you. And the guy's like, sure cool whatever and he like talks to him a little bit on the way home and so he follows him up to the apartment and first of all there's a a note on the door that says something like the keys are under the mat the note inside will explain where your car is so he's like oh okay this is weird the taxi driver's like yeah so he gets the keys he opens up the door <laughs> the taxi driver has to be like "Ah." he opens up the door and every last stitch of furniture and belongings in the apartment is gone. Just gone. So he's walking around going, holy shit, where's my stuff? And the cabbie had followed him in and picked up a note that was like on the countertop and was like, "Uh, you know what? I don't need to be paid. You've got bigger problems, buddy. And he just leaves. He's like, here's a note for you. He's like, adios. Good luck. Here's a free ride on me. (laughs) The note reads, This is not going to work out. Your bank accounts have been emptied. You won't be broke forever, but at least I'm going to bankrupt you for now. And that's supposed to explain where the car is? Well, it goes on to say that the car is at a U-Haul lot 22 miles away. Why? How did she do that? I'm guessing that she was moving somewhere, and so she just drove his car to the U-Haul lot. And just left it there for her own convenience. (laughs) So this poor guy has to call a friend to drive him to the U-Haul lot 22 miles away. And he has to call his mom and get her to wire some money to him because he's completely cleaned out by her. That is the most brutal 40th (laughs) birthday I've ever heard. (laughs) Oh, my God. So... After cleaning out poor Grant and getting a divorce, Dante moved in with her brother Scott Mello and his family. It was immediately a disaster. Dante refused to contribute to the household financially or by doing chores. They were, like, expecting that she would get a job and, like, kind of pay rent, you know? Uh Uh-huh. She was like, nope. She expected for some reason to be treated like a princess and refused to lift a finger to help out around the house. Oh, my God. Yeah, instead she just picked fights with Scott's wife and daughter and apparently Donna, the sister she had lived with in LA, came to visit for some weekend and for some reason she was mad at Donna and was like rude and refused to speak to her all weekend. So after that, Scott like went into her room and was like, Donna left in tears because you were such a bitch to her all weekend and the two of them got into a terrible screaming match. Okay. And then Dante called the cops on Scott, her own brother, and said he assaulted her. Wow. Wow. Yep. And so Della slash Dante had a bruise, like she had a a bruise on her body that was completely unrelated. Scott didn't touch her, obviously. But because like she had some physical evidence, they threw him into jail. No. So the entire family begged Della to drop the charges and not send an innocent man to jail. She did eventually, but not until one day before the hearing just to make him sweat. Can't she get in trouble for that, though? I don't know it's like he said she said maybe I don't know she dropped the charges so all's well that ends well but they I guess they didn't follow up of trying to say she falsified it they probably told him and his family that it was too hard to prove you know wow so Scott's wife Janet recalled that that year Della tried to come over for Christmas at Olga's no and no one would let her into the house like no! she's like knocking on the door and everyone's like screw her Dante next met a stockbroker named Jeff on a dating service called Single Views. And now this is literally one of those like old school dating services where you were like had a profile on a VHS tape where you watch tapes of the people talking about themselves. Oh my God. Uh-huh. It's so retro. I love it. On her tape, Dante came across funny, perky, and worldly. Jeff said that she seemed soft-spoken, very sexy, and almost perfect. Jeff was hopeful during their honeymoon period, like, over the course of their first few dates, that she could be the one. But after a disaster trip to California where Dante alternated between acting like a child and acting like a total diva bitch, he had second thoughts. So, like, the first red flag was that they were doing, like, this driving trip, like, all the way from, like, L.A. up to Tahoe. Uh Uh-huh. And... They had talked about, like, alternating driving. And when they got to, like, the rental car place, she's like, oops, my uh, driver's license is out of date, so I guess can't drive. And so he's like, okay, I mean, I don't mind driving, but we are supposed to, like, take turns, you know? And then... Why are they, like, like taking turns? Why doesn't
0: he just drive?
1: I don't know. Nathaniel always drives when yeah, we go. We Dan don't always turns. drives, too. <laughs> but I guess I don't know if they're, like, trying to do it overnight or something. Whatever. So he's, like, turned off by that and then apparently when they were in napa they went to some wine tastings and she got super obnoxiously drunk and was rude to like all of the help and then she also several times made him change hotels because the hotel he booked wasn't good enough for her wow yeah and he said it was also weird because like she was like acting like that but then every once in a while she acted really childlike like she would see something on the side of the road and be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. Stop, 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 stop. I want to get an ice cream. Can I get an ice cream cone? And he's like, whoa, that is not the behavior of a grown woman. It's really annoying. Yeah, he said she would like literally like tug on his like sleeve sometimes and be like, "Ooh, can I get a soda, please? And he's like, what? Also, another weird thing. Was that at this point she was working as a receptionist? So she had some of her own money and she didn't offer to pay for a single thing. Like not a roadside cheeseburger, not some gas, nothing. Like she did, she expected him to pay for everything. Yep. Sounds yeah. right. So he's like, mm, this wasn't a good trip. And then even worse, upon their return, she quit the receptionist job and she expected Jeff to support her after they've only been dating for a few weeks. And she would just, now that she was not working, she would just drink all day and call him tipsy at work, which is not attractive.
0: That's ballsy for them to go on a trip together just a few weeks in.
1: Yeah, but I could see it. I mean, I probably would have done something dumb like that, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) To make matters worse, she was extremely jealous, and she begins to say, I love you to him, even though they're not monogamous and they haven't had, like, the talk yet. Okay. Okay. So Jeff begins to put some distance between them about a month after their return from California. And when she feels him pulling away, she calls him to tell him she's pregnant. And that she's going to kill herself if he doesn't see her. Things get even more bizarre when she drops off a card that reads, Congratulations, Jeff, the soon-to-be dad with a plastic baby rattle and two diaper clips like on his doorstep. Ew. Ew. Yeah. So he was still like, I really don't want to see you like get an abortion if you want. If you need money, I'll let you know. And she once again threatened to kill herself. And she also said, if you don't see me, I'm going to call your mom and tell her what you did. And he's like, oh, God, I don't want you to do that. Just come over whatever. So he agreed to see her. He told her if she insisted on having the baby, he would help raise the child, but only as a co-parent and not a partner. He's like, if you want to have this baby, I'll support you. I'll support the baby, but we're not getting back together. So eventually Dante gave in and said she would accept money for an abortion, but only if he gave her extra money so she could be sterilized at the same time. And Jeff was like, okay, like that seems like a little overboard. You might want to have kids later on. Like probably you shouldn't do that, but it's kind of none of my business. And she told him like very dramatically, like she never wanted to go through this pain again. And he had ruined her life, so she like wasn't mentally stable enough to have a child in the future. So he's just like, you know what? Godspeed, here is $1,625. I hope this is the end of it. Unfortunately, it was not. <laughs> a week after Jeff gave her the money, she showed up wild-eyed at his door at 11.30 p.m. From Jeff's account in Della's web, here's what happened. So he lets her in and he says, I'm watching her because I don't trust her, Jeff recalled. She tells me to sit down and I'm looking at her handbag. She was standing right by the fireplace and in a roundabout way, she's telling me she's three months pregnant. She's mentioning the doctor, saying that it's a baby now. Jeff told her he thought an abortion still made the most sense, but he would support whatever decision she made. This time, her appearance was different. She tried to look very businesslike, had a more single-mindedness about her. She edges toward the chair that has her purse in it, he recounted, and I see her turn slightly and reach her hand in the purse. So I jump from the sofa and she's got a twenty-two revolver in her hand. What? I wrestled her and tried to bury the revolver in the couch. Jeff forced the gun from her. He was able to keep her with him until the police arrived. And a few weeks later, he brought her to court on charges of terroristic threatening. After all the shuffle, Dante produced a lab report that showed she was indeed pregnant. She was sentenced to a year's probation and was required to pay a small fine. When all was said and done, she walked away virtually scot-free. For months, Jeff diligently checked the papers for birth announcements. He was looking for Dante's name to no avail. He feared her so much that Jeff kept a file on her with records of her threats, her phone messages, and his canceled checks to her, but she never resurfaced. Again, no baby comes from this. Whoa. Whoa. So Dante met husband number four, David Britton, a 32-year-old British IT tech in a bar while she was working as a nanny for a family. David knew she was a little older than him, but he thought she was sexy and fun at the beginning, so it didn't bother him. It would only be when the two were signing their marriage license that David would realize that his new bride was 44, 12 years his senior. I think she told him she was, like, in her late 30s. Wow. Yep. A coworker of David's reported that eventually Dante quit her job as a nanny. Every time she gets a new boyfriend, she quits that job. Yep. And would call David at work upwards of 10 times a day. Oh, my God. When David was supposed to take a new assignment in Kansas City and leave Dante, she conveniently got pregnant and demanded he marry her. Wow. So, also, she tells him... If you marry me, because he he didn't want children. He like really did not. Like in life, he just knew he didn't want to be a dad. Okay. So she's like, if you marry me, I'll have an abortion. But if you don't marry me, I'm going to hit you up for 18 years of child support. Yep. Now, any other guy would be like, you crazy. I'm running. But he was like, you know what? She's not that bad. (laughs) And I need a green card. So I guess I'll just marry her. Oh, No. Yeah, I got to say, though, I think these two would have been great on 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> oh,
0: missed Opportunity.
1: Really? This is why that show is so good, though, because people are that desperate that they'll marry somebody like this and be like, "Eh, it's OK that she's threatening me with a phantom pregnancy. She's not that bad. I could do this for two years. David and Dante were married in a civil ceremony in New Orleans on Valentine's Day of 1992. Immediately, she demanded a joint banking account. Red flag. Major red flag. But other than that, shockingly, the first five months of their marriage went pretty well, which is weird for her because almost everybody else was like, almost immediately it was terrible, you know? Yeah. yeah. At the time, they were in Kansas City on David's assignment. And I think that's because he said, like, they didn't really know anyone in Kansas City, so they are just hanging out all the time. So she had, like, all of his attention and nothing that would rile up her jealousy. Yeah. But it was when they moved back to Cincinnati that the relationship went to hell. Dante slipped back into her jealous and paranoid ways and began to stalk her own husband, calling him more than 30 times a day and showing up to spy on him while he was out golfing or grabbing a drink with friends. That's like two times an hour. And and the, the thing is that he was losing friends over this because they would literally like go out after work to grab a beer and she would be like popping up with like a baseball hat and sunglasses like staring at them. And the person would be like, dude, isn't that your wife? And he's like, yeah, just ignore her. It's fine. She's like, "Da da Ice cream. I want
0: ice cream. I want some ice cream. please, please. please.
1: So creepy, so so creepy. Yeah. Also, she was spending. Of course, she's spending all of the money in the joint account. She even bought herself another four thousand dollar facelift. How many facelifts can a woman have? I don't know. Do you have to like maintain that? Like, you get one. It's like it's like a house. You gotta like paint it every.
0: Can't your skin only
1: stretch so far? No, I don't know. I hope I never have to have one. Oh, man. Yeah, she also refused to work, and she was lazy around the house. She's terrible, and he says that the only thing that she seemed to enjoy was shopping and torturing him. (laughs) He said later, I hated that woman with a passion, he admitted. I thought about killing her. I worked out how to do it. I thought about it a lot. I dreamed about killing her. You know, you go out walking on a cliff edge, a romantic walk, nobody would know. Where's the British we accent? We would know.
0: Where's the British accent?
1: <laughs> okay, let me see if I can do it again. Ready? Okay. I hated that woman with a passion, <laughs> he admitted. I thought about killing her. <laughs> this is bad. It's bad. I worked out. No, I can't do it. Can't do it. I got to be in the mood. I got to, like, be in the zone. I'm not in the British zone. I'm in the please, please, ice cream zone. <laughs> it's a whole different set of minds, you know? Oh, yeah. So yeah, basically also, David, we would know. The old she fell off a cliff trick, we've heard that one before. Yeah, like four episodes ago. Exactly. There's another guy who does that trick that's coming up too. I am putting him like in the future, but it's, it's yeah. a pretty common you one. You think you're original, David?
0: <laughs> yeah. You think you're the first so- person who thought of that? <laughs>
1: God damn it. Also, your ass is going to get caught. They they figure this shit out, you know? That goes for everyone. Don't murder. Just don't murder. Ever. Soon, the couple was fighting all of the time. And Dante was up to her old trick of calling the cops on any man who displeased her. The first time David was forced to spend the night in jail, apparently he was so sick of fighting with her that he's like, please, please take me to jail. Just get me away from her. I don't care. Take me away. He's like, please, handcuffs now. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, put me in the back of the cruiser. Like, get me away from her. But Dante eventually bailed him out. He took her back out of necessity. He only had a few more months to go before he would receive his green card. So he's feeling real trapped right now. One night, she threatened to kill David, even pointing a forty-four Magnum at him. But David was able to disarm her. After that incident, David removed all of the bullets from every gun in the house and locked the ammo up in a separate room that she couldn't get into which ended up being wise because when the green card wait period was over, David was getting ready to leave and told her he was leaving her. Dante once again tried to shoot David. She didn't know that he had taken the bullets out of the gun. So she's literally like firing at him and figures it out. And he's like, where are the bullets? <laughs> and he's like, sorry, bitch, bye. <laughs> so um, when she couldn't kill him, she was so infuriated that she once again went back to the old calling the police to claim assault trick again and once more he was thrown into jail
0: i hate it when people do that because there's people who are actually victims of domestic violence
1: who 100 yeah and this is why we don't believe some victims because bitches like this yeah you know? it's the boy who cried wolf Yeah, so she does this whole thing to him again, and this time she gets a restraining order on him. So even when he gets bailed out, he has to stay with a friend because he can't go back to his home because she's there, right? So when he finally is able to enter the apartment, he comes back to discover that Dante has once again sold everything of value that had been in the apartment, and she had also slashed all of his clothes and like, nice suits with a knife, like... Eeh, 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 psycho style. That's
0: like difficult to do. Like you'd have to hold the clothing down and
1: then like stab. Like she told him that she went crazy. She's like, she literally said, I went psycho style and I slashed all your clothes. And of course, only two months divorced from David Britton, Della Fay, Hall Hofer Bayer Bassett Britton, Met and eventually married unlucky husband number five, Dr. Daryl Satorius.
0: Wow. It's been a minute since you've done one of those name, on name, name, on name, 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 names.
1: <laughs> it's been a while since we had somebody who was married that many times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we are back full circle. So now think about everything I just told you and the fact that Daryl knows none of it. Yeah. Yeah. So... Daryl had talked to Olga and found out like all of this shit for the most part. I mean, he didn't know every detail. And Olga probably doesn't know every detail either. No. So he digs a little further in. I think he got a a PI to like do a background check. Would have been smart before the wedding. (laughs) Probably a good idea. He finds out about the terroristic threat charge. And Jeff is on, you know, the charge as the complainant or complainant. So he calls Jeff. He gets his contact information. And Jeff is like, dude, my man, get out. Get out, 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 Dude's like, I cannot tell you that like I was actually terrified for my life. She 100% would have killed me that night. You need to run. So Daryl is terrified, and he finally begins to get all his ducks in a row. He gets his divorce papers going, and he begins the steps to evict Dante and get a restraining order against her. Wow. Daryl told Olga of his plans, and she told him to be careful. Like, she knows her daughter. She's like, the moment she gets served those papers, she's going to get violent, and she is going to wreck or steal anything of value that you have. Meanwhile, he's still attending counseling. So he's like, they had been in in marital counseling and then it had switched to him just going to solo therapy. Okay. And he's like super depressed. He's like going through the actions. Like he knows he needs to get out of this marriage, but some part of him wanted it to work still for a couple of reasons. One, I think he was really depressed that he was going through a divorce so soon after his last divorce. Okay. And also she had made these terrible threats about him like saying like if you divorce me I am going to tell people all of this private information about him like she was going to tell people that he was impotent and that his finances were bad and even worse apparently he had some sort of gastrointestinal disorder that made him incontinent and it wasn't like all the time but like she was gonna like reveal that to people as well gross and
0: gross for her not him
1: Yeah, gross for her. That's so rude and so private. And it's like a medical issue that's not his fault, you know? Yeah, but obviously he felt some sad shame about it. Again, he shouldn't, but he did. And she was like, I'm going to tell everyone. I'm going to tell everyone in the hospital all about your grossness. So he's like, maybe she's going to do this. I don't want to be with her, but I'm also scared to divorce her, essentially, you know? Things escalated, though, in early February. While he's preparing the divorce paperwork to be delivered, Dante threatens Daryl with a gun. He calls attorney Guy Hilde in a panic who instructs him to break down Dante's locked door while she's out to retrieve the gun and bring it to the police. Like, again, they have separate bedrooms. So he does so, and he brings the gun to the police, and he turns it over, and they ask him if he wants to file charges, and he says no at this point. On February 12th, 1996, Dr. Satorius wrote the following letter to Guy, his attorney. Dear Guy, after reviewing in my mind our recent conversation, I was in error when I told you that at the time of filling out the marriage license, I was unaware Dante had children. She did tell me about her daughter early on and about her initial marriage and most recent marriage. I was under the impression that she had been married twice, once to Joe Hofer and once to David Britton. She had told me she had one daughter, Sean, and that Sean was married. However, she hid from me the fact that she had grandchildren because she does not like to be associated with that stage of life. Wow. I eventually found out about the grandchildren, but this was something that she had held back initially rather than the fact that she had children. The other inconsistencies in her background I've already enumerated for you in our initial interview. I again this week tried to impress upon her the fact that it would be financially advantageous for her to sit down with you and work out a settlement. She still resists this and apparently is receiving advice from two friends of hers who are attorneys. I would like to proceed to file suit as soon as possible and would like very much to have the temporary restraining order I mentioned put into effect as well as would love to see an eviction notice and a temporary restraining order keeping her away from my house as well as from me. As we have discussed, I don't know whether I have any grounds to support these requests or not. I certainly do continue to feel threatened, although she has changed her tack at the moment and is very patronizing whenever I am home or talking to her on the phone. Please let me know if there's anything further I need to complete. Thank you very much for your consideration. Daryl J. sutorius MD. One week later, the police would respond to the 911 call and discover Daryl's dead body one week after that letter was written. I know. It's so sad because he was trying so hard to get out of this, you know? Yep. Ugh. It's just, it's really devastating. It's like kind of like with domestic abuse, so many women finally leave and that's when their abuser kills them, you know? Yeah. So even though it's set up to look like a suicide from the position of the body and the gun next to Daryl's head, the cops are immediately skeptical. First of all, it's clear that the body is already in a state of decomposition. So this had happened much earlier. So how would Dante have not realized that A, her husband wasn't home when his car was in the garage and he was home. And B, that he was dead in their basement, especially given that the police reported a distinct smell of rotting flesh in the house. So the coroner would later rule that he died around 2.30 in the morning Saturday night. And this is Monday morning. Ooh. Clearly she has rage issues because she did not plan this very well. I feel like she must have gotten into a fight and shot him and then, like, didn't know what to do with the body. She just left it there. Yeah. And then she answers the door like, he's not home. (laughs) They're like, can I come in? And she's like, sure. Oh, shit. I just found him. What a coincidence.
0: I'm so glad you guys decided to look to see if his car was here. I I would have lived with a body for
1: years. I never use the basement. I don't smell anything. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yep. So, yeah, the coroner on the scene also reported that it seemed unusual. If it was a suicide, it just didn't make sense based on the angle from what he could immediately figure out. And also there was two bullets spent. Like, So one was in Daryl, obviously, and the other had gone into the couch behind him. Dante's behavior is so bizarre. Like she's like weirdly acting like he's still alive and like just sick or something. Like she's like demanding to see the body. She's like going into hysterics. Like she's just acting very erratically that they're like, Hey, let's get you down to the station for some questioning. When questioned, Dante says that on Saturday, the 17th, she had a morning shooting lesson at a gun range and gun shop called target world. And later on went to an early dinner at a pub with a friend she returned home around 6 p.m. and paid Daryl, but he didn't respond. She claimed then Daryl came home sometime later and the two argued. She left to attend a Mardi Gras party but never arrived because she said on the drive over she felt sick, so she decided to turn around and come home. Oh my God, she's a mess. She said she took sleeping pills as soon as she got home. And for the rest of the weekend, she just kind of was like laying low and not feeling well. And she assumed... Daryl was staying somewhere else. He just wasn't home the whole time. And she later said that she would like, why she didn't think he was home was because she had knocked on his bedroom door to no answer several times. So when they're like, okay, so what happened when the cops showed up? Like we came in to check out the car and all of a sudden you're screaming. So can you tell us about that? So this is what she told the cops apparently according to Aphrodite Jones's book, Della's Web. Dante recounted the events that occurred when the two patrol officers appeared at her door, explaining that she tried to wake her husband when she found him in the basement, but his head was stuck to the pillow. She realized that her dog, Teddy, was licking the floor right by the gun, so she picked up the dog and then the two officers reappeared. When police asked Dante how her husband came to possess the gun, she said that when Daryl had found a yellow ticket from the Target gun shop in her coat pocket Saturday night, He had become irate because she had purchased another gun. He then insisted that she march upstairs and turn it over to him, which she did. Was the gun loaded, a detective asked? I think it was loaded. I loaded it a lot, she said. So while she's being interviewed, the police are searching the home and her purse. They end up finding different IDs and paperwork with, like, several different names for her. Like, Della or Dante with, like, all of her many last names. So they're like this is weird. Like, we have to look into this. And the other thing they find in her bedroom is a gram of cocaine. Stop. Yeah. So the police are like, score, we can hold her on possession now, you know? Yep. So she got an attorney and she eventually makes bail for the narcotics charge. By now, Olga has gotten wind of this situation and calls the police. She's like, guys, look, my daughter, Della, is crazy violent. she's had about a million husbands and boyfriends that she's threatened so she'd be my number one suspect if I were you (gasps) I love her oh my god I think she also like talked to like reporters and was like yes she definitely did it she's a bad seed (laughs) that's not a British accent obviously but I I would say that the energy was there the energy was there (laughs) so yeah so she even shares all of the contact information she has for each man like any ex that she has information on, she's like, here's what you need to know. Contact them. They'll tell you that she's nuts. After interviewing all of the various exes, they realize they might be on to something with this woman. It's crazy that, like, none of them,
0: like, I guess guys don't, like, talk about shit as much. But, like, I feel like this is such a situation where they should have spoken with someone about it. Either professionally or authorities or something i mean she almost shot that one
1: guy well he did that one guy went to the police okay he got her charged remember that was how so is that not
0: showing up when they bring her in for the narcotics
1: charge i think it probably did but olga was like even on top of it like she's like you're gonna if you do a background check on her you're gonna see that she's this is a habit i also think like we discussed on another case that before the advent of social media you kind of just didn't know what happened to your exes after they left you. You know, yeah. you're like, goodbye and Godspeed. You'd really have to like get a private investigator to figure out where they were. And she's changing names, you know, she's moving around. Like, you wouldn't know. Like, now you could be like, figure out who your ex was dating and warn them. Yeah, or them you and- see
0: someone with like a brand new profile and you're like,
1: mm. <laughs> Yeah, and it's clearly just the same person. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: You're like, where was your life before two weeks ago?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I think it was just hard for them. And you're right. I don't I don't think men men are a little bit more embarrassed when they're, you know, threatened, especially by such a tiny woman, you know? Yeah. yeah. Ego. Yeah. So after interviewing all of the various exes, they realize they might be onto something here. Especially when David Britton recognizes the murder weapon as one that Della slash Dante stole. From his house when he was in jail. Remember, she cleaned him out? Shut the fuck up. Yeah, he's like, yep, that's my fucking gun. He's like, she did it.
0: (laughs) (gasps) Oh, she can't even like sell or like use the money from other guys' shit to buy her own gun. Like she uses one of her ex's guns to murder one of her future husbands.
1: Yeah, it's a weird story because she's saying that the gun he used was one she bought that day or bought very recently. Don't you think that's trackable? That, how does she not understand that they're going to find that out, you know? She's not the brightest crayon in the box. No, she is not. So yeah, beyond an insane history of, you know, attempting Sid's murder with a kerosene lamp, burning down Brian's house, and threatening David, Jeff, and Daryl with guns, she also has a financial motive. As his wife, she would stand to inherit his profit-sharing and pension plan, which was worth over a million dollars. As an aging beauty queen psychopath, she needs to score. I mean, she needs this score. It's hard to be a gold digger when you're pushing 50. Yeah. Like, she can't use the whole I'm pregnant excuse anymore. Nope. So that's why I think coming around full circle, like when she said, I'm waiting for marriage, like she said, she can't like pretend to get pregnant anymore. She's like, I gotta pretend to wait for marriage to get yep. somebody into marrying me. Yep. So I think she was just like, I need to get a big score out of this one because who knows where my next meal ticket's gonna come from, you know?
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. So they go ahead and arrest Della on February 27th, 1996. So that was quick. I mean, his body was found on the 19th, and eight days later, she's arrested. Okay. Good. At trial, the prosecution paints Della as a jealous woman who married for money and killed her husband before he could legally divorce her. In fact, on Monday, February 19th, the day Daryl was found dead, they were actually due to sign the divorce papers at Guy Hild's office that day. (sighs) The coroner reported that it was absolutely a homicide based on the angle of the shot. He would have somehow had to manage shooting himself from the back of the head. Like, literally, like, putting his arm behind his head and shooting it. Not happening. And also, yeah, there was no contact or, like, loose contact. So they, it had to be, like, at least a foot or two away from him. So, like, you literally would never hold your arm out full length from behind and try to shoot yourself. No suicide would ever do that. No. He's like, in my opinion, I've literally, because the defense was still trying to say this was a suicide. And he's like, I've been doing this for 30 years and no one in the world has ever killed themselves like this, you know? A blood spatter technician also testified that it was clear by the blood smears on the couch, the body was moved into a position that would look more like a suicide. They could tell by the way somebody had clearly moved. Oh, the my body, God. You know? yeah. David Britton testified about Della's crazy marital behavior, and sweet, beautiful Deborah, Daryl's daughter, testified to Della's cruelty and her father's terror. Hauntingly, they allowed a message Daryl left on Deborah's answering machine to be admitted. And it said, Don't call Dante. Don't speak to Dante. His weeping voice pleaded, Deborah. I don't know if I'll ever be able to talk to you again. Please, Deborah, you just don't understand. I don't know if I'll live through this. Whoa. So he was terrified, the poor guy. Ugh, it's so, I mean, I know this is like the case in all of our cases, but like marrying the wrong person can be devastating.
0: Yeah. She tricked five guys into it.
1: Yeah, and all of those guys went through terrible things, but they came out with their lives at least, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Meanwhile, the defense argued reasonable doubt, which, yes, sure, I can get that. But then they also tried to paint Daryl as a suicidal alcoholic who killed himself and framed his soon-to-be ex as a final FU. Wow. Yeah, so they're saying that, like, yes, he shot himself from that angle because he was trying to set Della up.
0: An angle that's not physically possible.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, come on. They also got Daryl's therapist to testify that Daryl mentioned suicide in Sessions and was being treated for depression. They also got colleagues to admit that Daryl had been profoundly depressed before his murder. But yeah, I'd be depressed, too, if I was married to that woman. Are they allowed to do that? I guess so. I don't I don't I've I've heard before that therapists can't testify, but. In this case, they did. Wow. I'm sure somebody will tell us. <laughs> somebody will definitely be like, of yeah, course great. they can. Yeah, someone let know. us know.
0: That, I'm yeah. shocked about that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess after the fact, though, remember the priest in that other case that we did, the Costco Christians? Was that Costco Christians? One case that we had, there was a priest that testified to what they said privately in confession. Yeah, but that's
0: a priest. That's not a therapist. And it's also defending the murderer.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not cool that it's defending the murderer. Mm. But also, like I said, like, wouldn't you be depressed if you were going through this? 100%. Yeah, but that's like, they're using
0: confidential information from the victim about mm-hmm. his mental state, framing it as...
1: Yeah. They also, like, brought up the fact that he was prescribed antidepressants. It's like, yeah, everyone's I mean, on antidepressants. Chill out.
0: Yeah, that's like, pfft, Whatever.
1: Yeah. (laughs) On June 7th, 1996, a jury declared Della Dante of the Million Last Names guilty of (laughs) aggravated murder. Two weeks later, Della was given the maximum sentence of 20 years to life, as well as an additional four and a half years for weapons and drug charges. Judge Richard Nayhouse deemed Della beyond hope of rehabilitation and issued the following savage statements. He said... You have now earned something probably for the first time in your life. Wow. Wow. (laughs) This sentence is inherently fair because of your lifelong history of aberrant behavior. It's not fair to compare you to a black widow spider, he continued, because a black widow does not disguise itself. I believe you are more suitably compared to a creature called the lionfish. The outward appearance of the creature completely belies its deadly, poisonous, aggressive nature. The lionfish attracts its prey through its appearance and then consumes all that comes close to it. That creature is you. Wow.
0: Lionfish.
1: little lionfish action over here.
0: Now people need to write books called The Lionfish Killer. Instead of the Black
1: Widow, <laughs> you know they would. I don't think people would get it as well. But yeah, they definitely should because there's so many Black Widow, Black Widower titles. Guys, we need a we need some uh, we more diversity. Fish. Yeah, you guys should see my bookshelf. It's all like Fatal Charm, Fatal Beauty, Fatal Vows, <laughs> Fatal Marriage. I think you should take a photo of it. I will. I definitely will for the Instagram. That it's like bloody day, bloody night. Bloody. It's like everything on my bookshelf is fatal, deadly, and bloody. Literally all. <laughs> oh my God. Too Oh good. God. I, I have to have like a shame bookshelf of all my true crime somewhere. Like, and I keep like my fancy, like Pulitzer Prize winning author somewhere You should get else. one of
0: those hidden secret bookshelves and like flip it around.
1: Flip it around. It's all murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when the case was blowing up in the media, rumors of Della's involvement with Jerry Springer made it to the news. And Jerry Springer was like, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. I do not know that woman. I have nothing to do with that woman. Shut up. Yeah, he emphatically denied even knowing her. Do you think that's true? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't admit it if I had dated that loony tune. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that murderous bitch. Well, according to the Ohio Department of Corrections, Della Satorius died of natural causes on November 10th, 2010. She was 60 years old and only four years shy of being eligible for parole. What? Yeah. Also, 60 is pretty young for natural causes.
0: Yeah, what happened? They don't have anything?
1: They didn't expound upon it. At least I didn't do too much digging. So if somebody knows, you can tell us. But um, yeah. Natural causes. Hmm.
0: Maybe her inside was
1: just so rotten that it couldn't go on. That would, you know, that would make the most sense. That would make the most karmic justice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. At the beginning of the Aphrodite Jones book, because it came out while she was still alive, basically Aphrodite Jones became really good friends with Deborah, Daryl's daughter. And she was like, the only thing I want you guys to know is here's the information for the ohio department of rehabilitation and corrections and she's like please put in the book like have everyone who reads this book write a letter saying never let this monster out so i'm glad that deborah and her siblings will never have to worry about that that yeah
0: no shit Mm -hmm. that's scary
1: absolutely scary and also she would do it again and again i mean this woman has patterns you think (laughs) So thank you guys so much for listening. If you liked this story, you can show us by leaving a review. That would be wonderful. And we'd be so happy. And then you can send us a screenshot and we will send you some dope stickers. Woo! In conclusion, maybe don't use the gun that you stole from your ex-lover when you're committing a heinous crime. Probably not a good idea. Also, just don't do the crime. You can track those things. You can this.
0: Yeah, if your wife doesn't answer the phone when you're calling to coordinate a ride home slash your fortieth birthday, it's not
1: a good sign. Not a great sign. Usually, She's not super into partying with you that night. Apparently, no, no, no. Make other plans. That is such a disaster. The hero of that story really was the cabbie. <laughs> totally. And as always, trust your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up murdered. Oh, I, I know that like with the end of COVID, y'all getting out there and dating again willy-nilly. So be careful. Be safe out there. This is your warning. This is your warning. We don't want you on the show. We want you all alive and healthy and happy. So thanks again, guys. Bye. Bye. Stay away from next class.